The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, along with my co-host, Bonnie Quinn. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and on Bloomberg.com. Optimism in the market today, though, a little more tempered than when the Pfizer vaccine news came out, I would say, Paul. Yeah, it's been just an extraordinary here. So on the back of the Pfizer news, um, it just gives uh, people some hope that there's uh, some vaccines in 2021. Exactly. What we're speaking of, of course, is this new Moderna news arriving as the U.S. surpasses 11 million coronavirus cases. We're going to be speaking with Sam Fazali in a little bit to give us the context on exactly what this Moderna vaccine is. But first, we actually have the man responsible for the Moderna vaccine. He is the chief executive officer of Moderna, Stefan Bansell, and he is joining our television colleagues, Alex Steele and Guy Johnson. So let's toss it over to Alex. So now we welcome our TV viewers and radio listeners to Stefan Bansell, Moderna CEO. Stefan, it's been a big morning. Congratulations. We're obviously all very excited at any new prospect uh, of a vaccine. The biggest question, though, that it seems like people have is why does your vaccine require less cold storage than Pfizer, key to distribution? Yes, good morning, and thank you for having me. I think it goes back to the fact that we have been working on mRNA vaccines for more than five years. This is the 10th vaccine that we have been running a clinical trial on. The other vaccine that you mentioned, it's the first time that they are doing uh, an infectious disease vaccine. And so over the years, we've invested heavily in science, in process development that allows us now to have a much better storage condition than what we used to have you know, five years ago. Stefan, this is really important because it's going to have a huge impact on distribution. How much of an effect will that stability at a higher temperature have in everybody's ability to be able to get hold of this vaccine? I think it's a huge impact. Uh, we're going to have a vaccine stored at minus 20 between our factory and the big distribution centers. And those are able to handle that type of product because they are already product approved by the EMEA in Europe, MHR in the UK, or FDA in the US at minus 20 Celsius. But what is very important with today's news is we can now for up to 30 days have a vaccine stored in a regular fridge at two to eight Celsius like you do insulin. And as you know, every pharmacy, uh, you know, doctor's office, hospital has that capability. So we think it's a very important game changer. The other piece too, to keep in mind, this other vaccine does not require dilution. Uh, the other vaccine that you mentioned requires dilution at the site. So you take the vaccine out and you need to dilute it. It's an extra step. What we have to do to get the world back to normal is a massive vaccination campaign that has never really happened before. And so every time we're going to be wasting doing these type of things for our product is going to be an issue. And so we think that between the fridge condition storage and the fact that we do not require any dilution on site, 
that's going to be a big advantage for nurses and doctors to be able to provide those vaccines quickly to the population who wants it. Such a good distinction. Um, have you had conversations with the current administration or the incoming Biden administration about kind of distribution and how to mobilize? Yes, so the Operation Warp Speed has been working in the U.S. very closely with the CDC for a long time. And we are in daily discussions with them. What we're going to do as soon as we got uh, an approval or an EUA by the uh, US FDA is to ship the product via uh, McKesson, who the US government has selected because they are very active in the seasonal flu process, to get the vaccines out to uh, hospital and pharmacies. As I'm sure you read CVS, Walgreens, you know, right? And all the big pharmacy chains in the US have signed up to get the vaccine from McKesson to provide administration in the pharmacies. This is also going to be available you know, in hospitals, in some rural area, in community hospitals or, or, or GP's office. So there's a lot of work going on, and this is actually the government taking care of that step, whereas, you know, the military is being involved to help with logistics. Stefan, um, one of the key questions as we all watch the case count climbing around the world is what impact will these shots have on transmission? So what effect, if I have this in my arm, will this have on my ability, if I come into contact or get the virus, to transmit it to others? Yes, and this we don't know yet. What we know from today's data is that if you get a vaccine, you're going to have a 94% chance to have no COVID disease. That's obviously a big deal. But what is even more important, in my opinion, is of a 95 case of disease that were analyzed yesterday by the independent NIH-led safety board was severe cases, which was the secondary endpoint of that phase three study. So 11 of the 95 cases were severe. But what is really remarkable is that of those 11 cases, 11 were with people who got placebo. There were no case reported of people who get the Moderna vaccine. So when you put those two data together, what does it tell you? With the data we have today, it seems that our vaccine, if you get it, you have a very high chance of being with no disease. And if you get disease, most probably you will get mild disease. And if you think about the impact on hospitalization, ICU, and the impact on the economy, where governments around the world are trying to slow down contacts because they want to manage the limited uh, hospital and ICU capacity. So if that problem was to go away by having a vaccine that prevents severe disease like ours seem to do, that's a game changer. To your question about transmission, we will know soon, as part of our study, we're also looking at measuring antibodies that come from the virus but could not come from the vaccine. And so when we'll have that data, we'll of course share it. It is possible that the vaccine will prevent infection. We have shown that in non-human primates, i.e. in monkeys. Uh, but we need, of course, to prove it in human now. We just need a bit more time. But the most important thing is to prevent disease. If people vaccinated will not have disease, we will be in a very different world. What's the breakdown for the general population versus older people, say those over 65? You had 15 in, in the trial, right? So. Uh, what was placebo, which were vaccinated? What was the effect? Yeah, we don't know all the details yet because remember, the company is blinded. The data is, is owned and run by the, the independent safety board. 
But what we know is that we had only five active cases on, on the drug. And so uh, we anticipate a good response in the elderly. We will know more in a couple of weeks when we have uh, the study finalized and filed to the FDA and the MHRA in the UK. But if you look at the phase one data, which were published in the New England, were actually the vaccine of all the vaccines in the clinic that was able to sustain from a 25-year-old to a 75-year-old the same level of antibody for all of the participants in the study. So we are cautiously optimistic that in the elderly and other people with high comorbidity factor, we should have an effective vaccine. Stefan, Christine Lagarde, the president of the ECB, was asked the other day what her greatest fear was. One of them was war. The other one was mink. How big a fear do you have about mutation? And is RM, uh, messenger ribonucleic acid the best way of dealing with any kind of mutation that we see? So let me start with your last question. Yes, mRNA is the best technology to deal with mutation. Why? Because we've shown in January that it took us 42 days to go from the sequence published by the Chinese government of the SARS-CoV-2 to shipping to the NIH human-grade quality product. I think we can take this down to around 30 days with the things we've learned and the investment we have made. So if tomorrow there was a new mutation, like the one you mentioned, that could have an impact on the efficacy of a vaccine, we could, within a month, go back and have a new vaccine. We will not need to do uh, studies anymore because it's the same chemistry for the molecule of mRNA. It's the same manufacturing process. So if you change out of a message that is very long, thousands of letters of genetic code of life, if you change a couple of them for a mutation, you do not have to redo clinical studies anymore. So mRNA is clearly the best adapted for mutation. On the one you mentioned, we are tracking it. Uh, we're going to run the experiment very quickly to see does the blood that we have from the humans we wear in our phase one and our phase two, does it neutralize uh, the new virus? If it does, we know the vaccine works well. If it doesn't, we can quickly change the sequence and have a new vaccine. Can you give me some perspective on the side effects? Yes, the, the side effects, we've reported the severe side effects in a press release for transparency reason. They are very similar to what you see with other vaccines. Uh, we didn't even report uh, the fever because they were less than 2% of cases at fever. And what you see is what you see with commercial vaccine. A bit of pain at the site of injection, a bit of redness for a day or two, both go away with no medication. And at the systemic level, you see some people having some fatigue, especially in the elderly group. You see people having a bit of headache. Again, those things go away usually within a day or so with no medication. Of course, people can take a Tylenol or equivalent and actually not even feel those pains. Stefan, you mentioned a moment ago about being able to reformulate. How quickly do you think you'll get into kind of 2.0, 3.0? How quickly do you think that cycle will happen? Um, and what improvements do you think you'll be looking for? You mentioned temperature early on as being one of the critical factors. As you look for reformulations, what work are you doing and, and how improved will be the product and how quickly? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think we're, of course, always working on temperature and stability. Uh, the 30 days we announced today at fridge temperature is a first step forward because we have that data. 
We continue to monitor the product that is on stability in our labs. And if we're able to expand it, we'll do so. The other piece, I think, is single uh, dose usage. The current product, like all the other products, is multi-dose. So in every vial, you're going to get 10 doses for 10 people. And the reason the entire industry did that is there is not enough filling capacity in the world that was sitting idle to wait for a pandemic. And so by putting 10 doses in one vial, we can, of course, get much quicker product uh, in the marketplace to vaccinate people. But if you think about the potential use for the mid to long term in terms of boosting, uh, it will be much easier to have a single dose yeah. vaccination like you have when you get a seasonal flu shot. Stefan, final question from me. As you said at the beginning of this conversation, you've been working on this for a long time. You were looking to use uh, messenger RNA for other therapies. Can you talk to me about the acceleration you've been through within your business as a result of COVID-19? And I I'm looking for silver linings here. Will this help in treatments elsewhere? Will it help with cancer and other areas? Yes, so the place where it's going to help the most is in infectious disease vaccine. We have six vaccines for other infectious disease that are all first in class, meaning no commercial vaccine available. A good example is CMV, cytomegalovirus. It's a virus that drives the number one cause of birth defect in Europe or in the US. 10,000 kids in the US per year, no vaccine on the market. The whole industry has tried for 20 years to get a CMV vaccine to work, they all failed. Well, we had a positive phase two study in September, starting the phase three next year. That's a two to five billion annual pixel product that we have not licensed. So meaning it's a product 100% for Moderna. And we have many more like this. We just announced we're going to get into the flu business. So what the COVID vaccine has done for Moderna is one, de-risking of a platform for vaccines, which translates into a lot of value. And two is an acceleration for us becoming a commercial company. We were supposed to be commercial in the 23 to 24 time frame. Well, now it's possible we are being commercial before the end of the year. That's quite an acceleration. Stefan, thank you very much indeed. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much indeed for sharing it with us. Stefan Bassel, the Moderna CEO. That was Stefan Bonsell, the CEO of Moderna, speaking with Bloomberg's Guy Johnson and Alex Steele, uh, talking about the study that just came out about their vaccine. Again, 94.5% efficacy, very high number, uh, you know, kind of in the ballpark with what we saw from Pfizer uh, last week. So we got two possible uh, vaccines coming to market. So that's certainly very positive as we think about this pandemic. Right now, let's get some more details on what this Moderna vaccine might look like. Uh, we can do that with Bloomberg Intelligence Senior pharmace Pharmaceutical Analyst. Uh, that would be Sam Fazelli. He joins us uh, from France. Sam, thanks so much for joining us here. Boy, this number, the 94.5% jumps out at you, just like the Pfizer 90% number did as well. How do you compare and contrast um, these two potential vaccines? Yeah, hi, Paul. Um, so I think on the efficacy front, we should currently assume that they're similarly effective because these are, you know, 90.7% versus 94.5% on few cases can go either way as the cases accrue. So I would call the two vaccines equivalent in terms of efficacy, at least on the early data. But then you have all the various other levels. So Moderna has done something that Pfizer did not. They've given us a bit more detail. They, first, they gave us the statistical power, which is great. 
then they told us about the uh, severe cases, none in the vaccinated group. That's fantastic to see. Um, so that's like 100% protection, but we're only dealing with the 11 cases. And then you've got the elderly. Um, uh, Stephen Bonsell did not go into the detail, but if you assume that all the cases on the vaccine arm are older people, which is very unlikely, then you still have at least a 50% effective vaccine for older people. And I'm convinced that it would be better than that. And they did have slightly better data in elderly than others did. But that's early phase one, two. So everything looks pretty good for this vaccine and also Pfizer's based on the data that we have to date. Sam, so the mRNA technology transforms the body's own cells into vaccine-making factories, apparently. Does that mean that when you come in contact with the coronavirus, it doesn't get into your system and your, your, your body doesn't go into sort of overdrive trying to immunise your own body? Yeah, so there's two things that, that we want a vaccine to do. And we know that these two vaccines do at least one of them. That is, they prevent the infection from setting off a massive a problem within a disease within the body. So they limit the infection. And that's great. What we don't know is, is if they eliminate the infection or stop the infection taking hold at all. Therefore, um, that so-called sterilizing immunity. Do, do, do I, do I, am I still, even though I'm vaccinated and don't have a disease, still at risk of passing the virus to somebody else or not? That is the thing that they, they have to answer and we still don't know. And I'm not sure how uh, Mr. Bonsell's answer to that question actually gets to that point. They need to look at the virus in the nose. And I don't think any of the companies have really done that on a routine weekly basis during their trial. So, Sam, so we have two vaccines potentially out there. I know there are more uh, entities out there working. At the end of the day, how many do you think will be commercially deployed to the market? Oh boy, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. So we look at the early data for all these vaccines so far, and they all seem pretty much the same. Maybe the AstraZeneca one is not, uh, or at least in the early trials, didn't quite match the data that we got for some of these other vaccines. Uh, so time will tell in the next few weeks how that does in the UK trial. Uh, but I think the majority of them will be in these sort of ranges. So you got to, you know, that, that creates a conundrum for people or, or a good problem to have. You have to choose between them. And um, I don't envy whoever has to do that. I suppose the reason I was asking the previous question, Sam, was because I was wondering about long haulers or people that, you know, get over it, you know, more quickly, but then develop longer term symptoms. Do we know if this vaccine protects those kinds of people? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question, uh, Ronnie. I, I think the, if the, this issue with long haulers is because they have a little reservoir somewhere in their gut or system, somewhere the virus continues to be alive and replicate and keep causing havoc every now and then, if that's the case, then with a vaccinated situation, you will have much lower risk of that. But if the problem for patients is that... Um, they've got the virus and then there's other stuff that happens in the body, the, the immune system having gone crazy, etc., that causes that long-haul issue, that long COVID, then, of course, the vaccine won't help that, except that if you never get a proper disease from the... The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.